You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Will you pray with me as we begin? Now, Lord, may we hear what you want us to hear, that we may be who you want us to be, that we may do what you want us to do. In the name of Jesus who calls us, we pray. Amen. So my name is Kirk. If we haven't met, I'm sorry, that's completely my fault. I hope that we can do so after the service today. I've been here uh, as an interim pastor since late June. And as I've been here for a couple of months now, I'm starting to make more and more connections that I had previously with a lot of folks here at UBC that I didn't even know that I was aware of. One of them being Patrick Broadus, who's I've become a, a good friend again. A few weeks in, we went to lunch together, started making some connections from past. I was a youth minister for 23 years. God bless me. Um, and when I was in seminary at Truett, several of us got together, groups of churches that were like-minded, and we decided to do camp together. So we would do camp, and I started to tell this story to Patrick, and Patrick said, wait. Were you at this camp, this camp? And I began to describe what happened, and he said, yeah, I had burns from that. The story goes, um, I had just moved to another church on the coast of Texas, and that church had already been to camp, and so those kids weren't coming up with me, but I was going to come and kind of be a co-director of the camp. We got up here a day early, and it was up in uh, north of Denton at uh, Camp Copas, and um, we needed to go shop for some supplies. One of them was rec supplies. We had a great idea for a huge slip and slide that was going to have lots of games, so lots of tarps, lots of things, but we needed something to slide on. Uh, another youth minister, not me. Another youth minister, not me, decided that motor oil was the best way to go. That's right. Um, we were washing people's hair, and we were um, treating first and second degree burns because it had just sent out there in the sun. Patrick was one of those who took a flying leap through that motor oil and just burned himself really well. Thankfully, he can laugh about it now. There has not been a lawsuit. I can assure you that later on in my youth ministry years, I was much, much smarter. We might have used something different. I don't know what that would be. Or better yet, we probably would have done something else completely. Maybe just some soap. I don't, I don't know if that's a thought. But for some reason, we chose motor oil that day. God continued to change me as I grew into a youth minister for all of those years, um, and my later youth would gladly, gladly thank me that they never had to go through that. Also, since I've been here uh, at the end of June, we've been kind of meandering our way through the Gospel of Luke with those lectionary passages until last week. And Craig Nash took us into the depths of Hebrews, which I think gives me permission to now dip into the Old Testament for a Sunday. Kieran, you're welcome. <laughs> This morning, we find ourselves listening to a prophet named Jeremiah. And I'm not sure if you've spent much time reading the prophets or learning much about them, but what I can tell you is that they are an eclectic bunch of people. I guess you'd almost have to be that way to go through all the things that they went through, right? Some are outcasts, some less so. Some are completely outlandish in what they claim to be God's demands of them, some less so. 
Amos, for instance, wanted to stay with his trees and his flock. And Hosea had children named things like not pitied. Isaiah had the wild visions. It's a group of folks that, quite frankly, would be quite a fun party. Or at least a nice meal, to say the least. A great conversation with a group of people. And I guess one of the best ways to describe Jeremiah is to say that he is the most human of the prophets. He is given to alternating moods of despair and exultation. That sound familiar, like anyone you know or like everyone you know? Despair on one hand, exultation on the other. He demonstrates qualities of courage and compassion and sensitivity, but also presents us with a dark Jeremiah side with moodiness and introspection and loneliness and doubt and my personal favorite retribution toward his personal enemies. And at some point during his life, he must have gained a reputation for being quite courageous because the writer of the Gospel of Matthew compares him to Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked disciples this question that we may have heard before, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered, <clears throat> some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jeremiah spent his years of ministry trying to convince people that the destruction of Jerusalem was coming, and for 40 years he said this, and no one seemed to hear a word. Have you ever had someone near you simply choose not to hear you? Maybe a child, maybe a partner, maybe someone that at one time you considered a good friend. You know they heard you, but they didn't really hear you. Not long after we were married, Jill, my wife, and I would have conversations while Sports Center was on. She would be, I'm sure, talking about her day, her week, something else that meant quite a lot to her. I'd be facing the TV, catching up on Sports Center for the third time because it's usually the third or fourth time in a row that you see it that you actually catch everything that's being said. She would get absolutely furious with me. And she's sitting right back there and probably getting mad as I'm talking about it. If I were looking at her, I could probably see how red she was becoming. But when she was finished, I would do something that would send her off the deep end. I would repeat every dot, single dot, word back to her that she had said. Turns out I had heard everything, but I didn't really hear everything. I could repeat verbatim, but I didn't understand what she was trying to get across to me. As you can imagine, those were a fun few uh, years in our marriage. We went through that wonderful cycle of graduate from Baylor get in May, get married in June, start seminary in August. And I took 18 hours my first semester in seminary, and so I reintroduced myself to our marriage in December and January, and then completely missed and forgot Valentine's Day. Can we just all agree that she's so lucky? Can we all? She's so thankful that she ended up with me. Jeremiah spent his years trying to get people to hear the words he was saying, not just to be able to repeat them back, but to understand, but they did not hear him nor believe him. He even gave the people the remedy to the problem. Turn back to God. 
But as we read Jeremiah, they never do. So in this morning's text from the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, we'll see some of this language of turning back to God. Hear these words from Jeremiah. It's an 18th chapter. We'll start at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I intended to do it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you from your evil way, and amend your ways and your doings. You can hear that, right? Jeremiah's not messing around even just a little bit. He's getting right to the point in these few verses. Do we have anyone here who's a potter? You would say, yes, I'm an expert potter. Anybody? Is there such a thing as an expert potter? I guess there is. Have you ever tried to throw clay on a wheel and see what might happen? How fun is that? (laughs) It is hard, correct? It is not something that goes well for those who have not spent a lot of time in it. I've not had the experience because, frankly, it scares me. And I'm a perfectionist, and so if I know ahead of time that I can't do something, I'm not even going to try. Because it's not going to be perfect. The reason is because mistakes can happen. And here's the fun part. None of the clay that is messed up is ever tossed out. There's always a bucket or something else that this clay goes into, and what is it used for? Something in the future. A new creation. So what is happening in this passage God sends Jeremiah down to this potter's house so that Jeremiah can hear God's words. In other words, Jeremiah had to leave what was comfortable, had to maybe bypass a few committee meetings and maybe miss a couple of professional development seminars and just head straight down to the artist. God as an artist. Jeremiah should go there and pay attention to what is happening. Pay attention especially when the clay is not doing as that potter would like. What happens? The potter gets to decide whether or not the piece is acceptable. The potter decides when the pot, or this piece of art, is no longer acceptable and must be destroyed. It matters who the potter is, right? Throughout the scriptures, you may have seen God mentioned as ruler and judge, writer and teacher, farmer and builder, father And mother. In Jeremiah 18, we're invited to see God as artist, a potter. The word used here for potter, and I typically, and I don't know Hebrew well enough to be authoritative, but this was a very 
key in uh, me understanding this passage a little bit. The word used here for potter is a Hebrew word that means to fashion or form. We have seen God, right, be an artist before. Do you remember the moment in Genesis when God shapes the same word that is used in Jeremiah for potter, when God shapes clay, sculpting humankind from the earth, and then we see God breathe life into this new creation, it matters who the potter is. Again, I spent some time learning what happens for potters and what makes things look like they do when they're finished. One of the things I've come across is that there's a difference between the clay that is fired and the clay that is not. If clay is fired, here's what happens. It dries up, it shrinks, it hardens into a permanent structure and a shape. It's typically decorative, probably functional, designed for a single purpose. You get a brick or you get a bowl or maybe a pitcher that will hold liquid However, clay that's not been fired yet is still plastic. It's still moldable. It can be shaped and reshaped almost infinitely. Clay is a material of, and Jamie, this is for you, it's a material of possibility. Moldable and flexible. Responsive. After God shaped humankind from the clay, we were not then fired, made into permanence. None of us are one thing. God can continue to develop and mold and reshape us. And here's the beautiful thing. God will work with what is available. I remember when I first realized that I was being called into ministry. I was high school. I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just knew that I was being called to that, if that makes any kind of sense at all. It didn't to me at the moment. It does all these years later. I thought because I was called to ministry that I was supposed to behave and look a certain way. I needed to talk a certain way. I needed to act a certain way. There were certain things I should do, certain things I should not do. My friends at the time, I remember them saying, what is is wrong with you? What What is happening? And so I, of course, told them what was going on, and it made absolutely no sense to them. I desperately wish someone had pulled me aside at the time. And said, listen, God has called you just as you are. I wish they told me that God was going to work with whatever I had available to God. God was making me into a new creation. You see, it matters who the potter is. Changes definitely needed to be made in me. But it was not in me acting my way through those changes. It was God molding and shaping and remolding. And when I mess things up, starting over and reforming me again and again and again. My new friends, UBC, I think this word is for us today as well. Fifteen years. Fifteen years is a long time to have a pastor, a leader, a friend, someone who you loved and cared for 
and listened to from this vantage point often. And who is also someone who cared and loved you and listened to you in your best and in your worst. And frankly, right now, during this interim time, it probably feels a little bit scary about, you know, what is UBC going to be? What are we going to do? Maybe you have questions like, who's driving the ship? Or when will we hit the ground? Or better yet, how will we sail her out to open water and see what she can do? These are all great questions, and I'm sorry I don't have all the answers. I have some of those answers, but what I do know is this. From the beginning of UBC, back in 1995, God has been shaping and molding her into what has been needed at the corner of 17th and Dutton in Waco, Texas. And that continues today. God is not finished with what is going on here. If I could sit down to a meal with each of you, I'd ask you this question. How has God been shaping you lately? Those answers will help, help answer the bigger question of how is God shaping UBC? Since we are part of the family of God in this place, how each of us goes is how all of us go. In my few short months of being at UBC, it is abundantly clear that this church is different in the best way possible. God is shaping UBC into a beacon of light in this world. A place built on three ideas, loving God, embracing beauty, even in the messed up clay, and living life to the fullest. This is a church for anyone and for everyone. I'm not sure the last time you've been to uh, UBC's website, there's a page called For the Sake of Clarity. It's my favorite place to go. It's really helped me and others learn about who UBC really is. On this page is this statement, and I want you to listen for the similar language to what we've talked about this morning in Jeremiah. At UBC, we encourage you to be yourself. You will not be marginalized because of your past, your questions, your looks, or your political, social, theological views. We celebrate how God has uniquely crafted you through your journey. God has uniquely crafted you through your journey, wherever you are on that journey, UBC. If we return to our passage in Jeremiah for just a few more minutes, we might just twist ourselves into some nice semi-concentric theological circles, which, by the way, are the best circles to be in the middle of, because it sure appears that God will change God's mind if only these people who have been shaped by God will turn to God once again. I want to read these few verses again just so we can keep our mind wrapped around what is being said here as it speaks to us. 
At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, but if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, but if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. It seems like what we just read is saying this. If we do better, then God will be nice to me. If I do poorly, then God will rebuke me. Please don't read Jeremiah's words in that way. It is what it sounds like. But here's what I think these words are trying to show us and how they are intended for us. We have remarkable freedom in the shaping that God does in us. God wants and invites us to be a part of that shaping. Remember, through all of Jeremiah's warning about what God will do to the nation, Jeremiah remained true to the remedy. Turn back to God. And in our final verse of the, from the passage this morning, Jeremiah repeats the words of the Lord. Look, I'm a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you from your evil way, and amend your ways and your doings. This is what Jeremiah goes back to again and again and again as you read these words. Truth be told, we sometimes use our remarkable adaptability and God-given freedom in destructive ways. Jeremiah sees the people of God acting as if they are a marred pot that cannot properly hold or pour water rather than the beautiful vessels God created in Genesis. A few moments ago we read this passage from Psalm 139 and I just want to focus in on the last piece of it because it says this beautifully. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. What shape will UBC take? What shape will you take? I think that's up to us. Let's pray. Oh God, You have shaped us and made us and, can, and continue to do so again and again and again. Thank you for the freedom you have given us in this. As you continue to reform us, help us to do what you want us to do, to be who you want us to be, in the name of Jesus who calls us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you join me now in the discipline of silence, listening for the Holy Spirit?